For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. If you're using any other version of the Bible, you do not have that precious text. First John 5, 7. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is addressed by masculine pronouns in the Bible. The Holy Spirit can be grieved and quenched. He is not just a power. He is not just an emanation. He is not just a force field. He is the person of God that comes and dwells with us. The Seventh-day Adventists can believe what they want about him being an impersonal force. He is the person of God himself with us. So that it can be said the Father and the Son dwell with us and abide with us and shall be in us by the Spirit of God that is in us. What a blessed privilege. Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4 and let me remind you again of some words you read last evening. Zechariah chapter 4. A good prayer... And a knowledgeable prayer went up this morning before the assembly in the prayer room in which the words were used to express the fact that in the flesh, this is about the most boring subject that, that can ever be brought out of the pulpit. But in the spirit, it's one of the most exciting because you know that's where your power lies, is in the Holy Spirit of God. And the great men of the Bible in both Testaments were full of that Holy Ghost. And if you want to be great, you must have the power of the Holy Ghost. And therefore, you must order your life aright. Because He will not give you power when you are playing with sin and carnality and worldliness. David knew that. That's why that prayer was so thorough. Because he did not want to lose the presence of the Holy Spirit as he described in Psalm 51. Zechariah chapter 4. The Bible is plain enough to us to give us the context that tells us in several places that Haggai and Zechariah were two prophets God raised up to encourage Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. They have been gone for 70 years. Chapter 1 refers to it. Those 70 years. That the city and the temple, the house of God, was at waste. So Zerubbabel and a small band of Jews come back from Babylon to rebuild that city. And you can imagine what it looked like. It was a giant mound of rubble. I have made this statement before, but I hope that it helps you understand the difficulty of what he faced. If you leave your yard for just a few weeks or months it starts to get ugly. If you leave your sidewalk, dandelions and other weeds have a way of coming right up through the joints. They can bust up asphalt and they would destroy your house in short order. If you were to come back to try to find your house after 70 years, there'd be trees growing right through it. But this wasn't a house left intact. This was a house leveled to the ground by the Babylonians because of the 
obstinate rebellion on the parts of the Jews. So here Zerubbabel stands facing this mountain of rubble on top of Mount Zion, and he wants to build the house of God. He needs encouragement. And so the word of the Lord comes unto Zechariah the prophet to encourage him. And you read it last evening. I want two verses out of it. And I want you to make these two verses practical to you. Verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, you'll never get the job done. You don't have enough might, and you don't have enough power. It's not by your might and power. It's by God's might and power. And God's might and power is by the Holy Ghost. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Brethren, whenever you or I face a difficulty in our life, we must remember the words, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You are not... Powerful enough to convert your children. But I know a God that can. You can't do it. There is no sentence you can utter. There is no outline you can pull. There are no verses you can give that will do the job. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. It doesn't matter whether it's a thing natural or a thing spiritual. Without the blessing of the power of the Spirit of God, you will not get the job done. Remember this text. And when you're facing difficulties in your life, you look at something and you say, I just don't have enough strength. He loves those words. He loves those words because he says, in your weakness, my strength is glorified. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, because when I am weak, then am I strong. That's the Apostle Paul. Do you know where that strength came from? He was strengthened with all might in his inner man. That's a lot of strength. When you're strengthened with all might, that's by the Spirit of God. Zerubbabel, this is the word of encouragement. From the God of heaven, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. It takes a while for some of us to learn this. We think that if our arguments are marshaled just right, if we get the seven proofs lined up just right, and the five phases laid out in a spreadsheet with columns and rows, then we can move a heart. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. Was the temple rebuilt against great opposition? Was the city rebuilt? Was the wall rebuilt against great opposition? Was it paid for? Who in the world would turn the heart of the Persian kings to inquire into the character of the Jewish nation and find out that they were a bunch of obstinate, rebellious, seditionous warriors who had fought for hundreds of years and decide that they would raise taxes beyond the Euphrates River and the tribute money would be used to build a temple of God. Who does that? Does Zerubbabel do that by writing a decent letter? Does Joshua do that by offering up a prayer? The Holy Spirit did that. Amen. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. 
And you can read these events in the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. They're in your Bible for that purpose. One more verse from this passage. Verse 10. Oh, I'm not going to skip these verses in between. No way. Read with, follow along verses 7 through 10. This is how you can speak when the Spirit of God is with you. Do you remember little David? He tried on Saul's armor. It didn't fit well. He had never used armor. He'd, what do I need it for? That's, that's a, that's a almost cocky little guy. What do I need armor for? I didn't have armor with a bear. I didn't have armor with a lion. And I ripped the lion's face open. And I took my lamb out of its mouth. He said that. Out comes Goliath. Nine feet, nine inches tall. You think Yao Ming is tall at 7'7"? Seven, seven? Here comes 9'9". Nine, nine. He could take Yao Ming and break him like a pencil over his knee. He comes marching out of the camp of the Philistines. David runs to meet him. Runs to meet him by the power of the Spirit of God. Right. And he said, you're blaspheming the God of Israel. And this day I'm going to take your head and I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. Now, how does a man speak like that? When he's full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. When Peter wasn't full of the Holy Ghost, a little servant girl caused him to tremble. And to cause him to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, which means fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter unloads on the whole Jewish nation. And he sees them writing up tickets for him to be whipped. And when he was whipped, what did he do? He rejoiced. That he had been privileged to have been whipped for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. What made that difference in his life? The Spirit of the living God. Amen. Now listen to how you speak when Zechariah the prophet comes to Zerubbabel with the word of the Lord. Having said words, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Then we have these. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those that fear him. Wow! Listen! This is the word of the Lord. And if you don't have a love of Christ and a love of Scripture and a love of truth and wisdom and righteousness that causes you to have confidence like this, you're lacking something. You're lacking the Spirit of God. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. And this is the way they talk. Who art thou, O mountain? You're going to become a plain. And he didn't have a bulldozer. Nor a bobcat. But he had the Spirit of the living God. I love this passage. When you think you're too small for a task, when you think our church is kind of small, I love a passage like this because it says, Who hath despised the day of small things? 
God's never been worshipped in a mega church except in the city of Jerusalem for a few years. He's always been worshipped in small churches. Most of them, many of them met in houses, according to the record in the New Testament. Who hath despised the day of small things? Do you feel yourself kind of small? Who hath despised your day? With the Holy Ghost, you can do anything. And a mountain in your life, this is the same mountain that you can cast into the sea by a faith the size of a seed of mustard. Faith, the size of a mustard seed. You can cast a mountain into the sea. This is that same mountain. Who art thou, O mountain? You're going to become a plain with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul knew that and learned that because the Lord came to him in the red writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and said, My grace is sufficient for thee. I will give you grace sufficient to bear up this messenger of Satan that you have in your flesh that buffets you. You'll be able to handle it just fine. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, Paul said. That's what we ought to do, because when we're weak, then he is strong, and he gets to display his power. It's his seven eyes. Here, a fullness for the, the fullness of the providence of God in the earth to take care of Zerubbabel and Joshua. And they would build it, and they would finish it. And everyone that looked at it with understanding would know this is the Lord's work. Right. Turn to Romans 14. Romans 14. The Christian liberty chapter of the book of Romans. Romans 14. Everything that you would want to accomplish in your life. I'm I'm diverting myself for a moment away from Romans 14. The Lord by the Holy Spirit, can give you the power to do it. David could take Goliath. Zerubbabel could build the temple in Jerusalem, both against great odds that appeared impossible. John could have a vision of heavenly things because he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Things spiritual, things revelatory, things natural, enemies, wisdom, understanding, the Scriptures opened, all of it. By the same Spirit. I want you to lay hold of that Spirit. Or you're going to have a powerless life, a powerless soul, a joyless life. Your bones are going to be broken without joy because you're just living a carnal existence if you're a child of God. And there's no evidence of that fact if if you don't have that praise of joy and gladness coming from your heart and out of your lips. Let us never be unthankful in this church. Let there be none among us that are not thankful and don't have praise on their lips, because that's evidence they don't have the Spirit of God. And if they have not the Spirit of God, they are none of Christ. This is the word of the Lord, and you read it last evening in Romans chapter 8. Romans 14. Verse 17, you've heard it many times. Just like you did the previous text. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace And joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. I want in those two verses. I want to be in those two verses. Because this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. There is a political entity that exists and it's called the kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ sits on the throne of that kingdom having been appointed a kingdom by his father, the God of all. And we are members and citizens of that kingdom, that holy nation, by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
that regenerated us and translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. We hear the gospel and we obey that King. And we join His visible assemblies. And we worship Him every Lord's Day and every day in between. But we come together corporately on the Lord's Day. This is the kingdom of God. What is it characterized by on earth? Is it characterized by a military? No. Does it have armor? Yes. But it's of a spiritual sort. What is this kingdom? It's not meat and drink. It's not all the little ticky things that people worry about that they shouldn't be worried about. We're told what it is. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Not peace and joy that the world tries to give, but righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Ghost. Real righteousness, that is, doing what is right is defined by God. Real joy, that is joy that flows from the inner man, the new man, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that fills your life. And real peace, that passes understanding that cannot be explained. So that in the midst of adversity, a child of God can rejoice and sing praises. This is the kingdom of God on earth. There's an army. You just don't see it. Some of its special forces are in this room. There are beings in this room with swords, weapons, to defend us. They are the angels of God. That is why he is called the Lord of hosts. And that is why Jesus Christ is the head of all principality and power. Principality is a political entity. And power, all thrones and dominions and might report to him. So we have an army, but it's not a visible one on earth. It's an invisible one. And it's going to become visible one of these days soon. Yes, he'll be seen in the clouds of heaven with the angels of God in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ when he rips this earth to shreds and burns it up. That's how much he loves everyone. This is the kingdom of God and I want to be in that kingdom and I want you to be in that kingdom and I want us to fulfill everything God ever intended for us. To stop worrying about the little meat and drink issues that you all have. I can't believe how twisted some of you get about the dumbest little things. If it's a matter of Christian liberty and you can't find ten verses that lay it out clearly, then you are chasing a windmill. You're jousting like Don Quixote. You've missed the whole battle. The devil's got you totally diverted because you're so caught up in these little ridiculous things about life. And we've preached on that whole subject before. I'll not name two or three so that you won't think that I'm preaching only at you. It's righteousness. What does God define as being important to Him in the way of doing right? Right. It's peace. It's making peace with people. It's living a peaceful life. It's joy. Being glad. That's the kingdom of God on earth by the power of the Holy Ghost. And a man that does these things, he's accepted of God and approved of men. I want those two. I want you to have those two. When it says peace, there's a peace that passes understanding, and the Spirit of God can give it. You can't resurrect a peace that passes understanding. Any peace that you can create for yourself, I can understand it. Because I'll find out what you did. I took a day off work, I slept in two hours, and I ate tricks for breakfast. And I just felt peaceful. And I, I can understand that. 
But when you're, when you're in prison and you've been whipped and you're naked and you're in stocks and you're singing praises to God, that I can't understand. That's peace that passes understanding. When your children rebel against you and rip your heart in half and you're able to praise God and be full of cheer because your child is still in the best hands they've ever been in, that's the hands of God, then I know you have the Spirit of God because that's a peace that passes understanding. Let's have that peace. Let's have it. Look at Romans 15, the next page. I'm sorry that I'm going to have to lay this verse on you again. You heard it a few times last week. Romans 15, 13. Take it up with the Lord as to why He's burdened me so much with this. And then look in a mirror and figure out why I'm so burdened. I have about five of you that already meet this verse. You know, maybe ten. Many of you don't fulfill this verse. You're walking around with sad faces, pouting, feeling sorry for yourself. Where in the world did you get off? Where did you come from? What have you heard? What are you doing with your life? That's why it's impressed upon me. I hate hopelessness. I was once hopeless. I hate hopelessness. And I don't want anyone to be hopeless, and neither does the Lord. Look at this verse. Romans 15, 13. Listen to all the words and look at them with your eyes. Now, the God of hope. Thank you, Lord, for being a God of hope. No other nation, no other religion has ever had a God of hope. They want their firstborn tossed into a burning God. Amazing. We have a God of hope. What isn't hopeful about our God? I don't know if I'm going to have enough money for eternity. I don't know if I'm going to have enough health for eternity. I don't know if I'm going to have any friends for eternity. I don't know if I'll have a place to live for eternity. Come on! He's the God of hope. Now the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't give you hope and I can't cause you to abound in hope. Your parents can't give you hope or cause you to abound in hope, though they can help you a little bit with some natural hope. The real hope of our lives is by the power of the Holy Ghost. And the real joy of our lives is by the power of the Holy Ghost. And our real peace is by the power of the Holy Ghost. And it takes power to do that because by nature we are hopeless, unhappy, and at war. Isn't that terrible? But the Lord overrules all that by His power. But is the Spirit of God exercising that power in your life? Or are you somewhat hopeless and somewhat joyless and somewhat peaceless? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy. John the Baptist was full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. When he met the Lord Jesus Christ, what did he do? Did he discreetly say, Amen? Like a Presbyterian? Or did he shout like a shouting Baptist? He was leaping around in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth said, The babe leaped in my womb for joy. Why? Because he was full of the power of the Holy Ghost. And when he came out, he didn't change. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. Isn't that a wonderful statement? I think that's John 3.30. I love those words. He must increase, I must decrease. Quit asking about me. I'm nothing but a voice 
cried in the wilderness. And he was ugly. And he hadn't cut his hair. And he hadn't bathed. And he had clothes that didn't look... Jesus said, did you go out there to see somebody in soft raiment? Somebody that wears a nice suit is found in a king's palace. What did you go out for to see? Did you go out to watch the weeds blow in the wind? What did you go out for to see? I'll tell you, there isn't a greater born of women than John the Baptist. Do you know why? Because he was full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And he was so focused, he had one mission his entire life. He waited 30 years. And he heard, he heard God the Holy Spirit say to him, you're about to baptize your cousin. And you're going to see the Holy Ghost come down from heaven and abide on him. And you can know and you can tell the crowds on both banks, this is the Son of God. Amen. His whole life for five minutes. Did he regret it? He did it with zeal. He, he, we're told what kind of a spirit he had and power. But who was it like? Elijah. Yeah. He did it. He did it so well. You know what it says in this verse? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Fill you. All joy. All peace. Abound in hope. This matches up with Galatians 5.22 where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. This matches up with Acts 13 and verse 52. Listen to these words. Acts 13.52 And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. If you want to be a joyful Christian, you have to have the Holy Ghost bursting forth in your life. David wanted that back, as we read several times in Psalm 51 earlier today. Therefore, we need to confess our sins. We need to ask the Lord to restore unto us the joy of our salvation and to give us His Holy Spirit. And not to take Him away. And to let Him become unfettered in our lives. And we need to be filled with that Spirit by confessing our sins and choosing to live according to the fruit of the Spirit. We don't sit and wait. For God to make us loving, joyful, peaceful, long-suffering, good saints. According to Galatians 5, we choose to live that way. And the Spirit gives us the power to do it well. I am not a fatalist when it comes to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says walk in the Spirit. It doesn't say wait for the Spirit. You have two choices. You have a flesh and all the members of that flesh are listed in Galatians 5. You have a spirit and all the members of that Holy Spirit are listed in Galatians 5. And it says do these things and don't do those things. Because these two things are opposites. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I left my office this morning with 18 pages of assorted notes that I didn't know how to put together. But I I have one goal right now for you to understand and get excited about the fact that God who adopted us and saved us has given himself through his Holy Spirit to dwell with us forever and give us the power to do everything he expects of us so that we can be pleasing children to him. Powerful, victorious, overcoming the devil, overcoming the world, full of joy, full of gladness and peaceful lives in spite of what may happen to us. I want you to have that. And the first step is to be excited and thankful for what God has given us. I bring you to Ephesians chapter 3. And the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 6, and chapter, seven, and chapter 5. It's throughout the, the epistle of Ephesians. But right now, the fourth text I've taken you to is right here. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this cause... 
all the doctrine of salvation that's gone on before and come right up to verse 13, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you read that verse, do you understand it? Do you agree with it? Do you experimentally know it? That when you think about salvation and all that God has done for us before the world began, stretching right down to preaching the gospel to Gentiles and bringing them into the, the kingdom of God, when you look at all that, for this cause I bow my knees <coughs> unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Do those words move you? I'm asking you for this reason. Those words were written by a particular being. They were authored by a particular being. These are the words of the Holy Ghost. And if you don't like them, and if you don't get excited about them, the problem is not with the words. The problem is with you. Either you don't have the Holy Ghost... Or you have the Holy Ghost and He is seriously grieved and quenched in your life because you've been playing with sin and the world. Look at that verse 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I'll just tell you for me then. I heard a few amens and I know I have some brothers and sisters in this assembly that are thankful to be a part of the family of God. Amen. We've been adopted as the sons and daughters of God and that should get us so excited. And we should be so thankful. And we should want to please our Father so much that He adopted us. You know, He's left us here in this orphanage for a while. The price has been paid because we know He's going to take us out of here. When He comes back for us with the limo, Lord, you know I don't mean it disrespectfully, but when He comes back for His children, then He'll take us home forever. Right now, He's left us in the orphanage after He's paid for us and after He's changed our nature so we can look around and say, Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for adopting me. I was just like them. You made the total difference. I can't wait for you to come back and get me out of here. I want to go home with you forever. He's coming to get us and take us home forever. And I hope that my little adoption analogy that I use from time to time helps our children understand. Listen, it helps me understand because I'm childish. In my head, I want it to be as simple as possible. I want to take these things of Scripture and make them simple and feed children because it feeds me. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, some of our family's already up there. We're going to a family reunion, the likes of which you haven't been to before. There'll be something better than KFC there. It's not going to get night. We're not going to have to quit and go back home. We're going to stay there forever. On and on we could go. A family reunion in heaven. Look at this prayer. For this cause, I bow my knees. This is serious words in the middle of a letter. Aren't these serious words in the middle of a letter to a church? For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. God our Father can give us something. According to the riches of his glory. Oh boy, Paul's building up... These words are building up to a crescendo that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory because this gift is so incredibly expensive. Only God is able to pay it and give it to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Unbelievable. That God, 
the Holy Spirit would strengthen us with might in our inner man to be able to do everything pleasing to God. This is the same Spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 and brought about creation. Look at that. That He would grant you. That God is able and God is willing. That He would grant you. But it's a prayer request. When was the last time you prayed this? That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. For what purpose, Paul? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Do you want to have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? It's a faith-based relationship in your heart by the blessing of the power of the might of the Spirit of God with your inner man. That's how it occurs. You cannot force it. You can pray for it. God can grant it. And the Holy Spirit will make it happen. To be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is as close to God that we can get on earth. Right here. And it can be granted by God, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does it when we're strengthened with might in our inner man. We can know about the love of Christ and how much Jesus Christ loved us to die for us. I wouldn't have done it for you. When they came to get me in the Garden of Gethsemane, I would have called the twelve legions of angels. I'd have got me some popcorn and watched what the twelve legions of angels did to everyone that came after me in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't love you compared to that. This is unbelievable love. This is an unspeakable gift. This is height, breadth, depth, and length. I can't even fathom without the blessing of the Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit makes this known to a man, he runs the whole world like Saul of Tarsus did. He'll do anything for anyone if it would lead them to see Jesus Christ more perfectly. Did Paul say, I'm free from the blood of all men in Asia? Yes. Now, he didn't mean the Asia that you can find on your globe. He meant the Asia of the Roman Empire, but it was still a bigger territory than you've traveled. And he did it by foot. Because he was full of this love. The love of Christ constraineth me. Do you know what he, do you know what he said? In, uh, the, the same apostle told us, right in line with this, knowing the love of God. Here's what the Spirit does. Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Ghost tells us and teaches us how much God loves us. He sheds it abroad in our hearts. It's just poured in there and spread out, and we can look at it all. All of the dimensions of it. But if you play with sin and you allow evil worldly worldly inputs into your life, and you don't go to the Word of God, and you don't go to prayer, and you don't ask God for the Holy Spirit, and you don't confess your sins, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You're sitting there so dry right now, you just wonder why I'm going off so energetically on this subject about the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says it is worthy of this kind of attention. According to the riches of His glory. You mean God's going to have to dig deep in His bank account to pay this one? This is huge. Do you know who purchased it? Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. In John chapter 7, when he said, out of, a, out of a man's belly shall flow rivers of living water, then the Holy Spirit said, 
Holy Ghost hadn't been given yet because Jesus wasn't glorified yet. The Holy Spirit was a gift God gave to Jesus, and Jesus gave it to the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 33 through 36 describe it perfectly. He hath shed forth this. This is what Jesus Christ has done. The promise of the Father was poured out upon the apostles. What was that promise? It was the Holy Spirit of God. God dwelling with men by His Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit doesn't go through walls or I mean, it doesn't go through doors like we do. That Holy Spirit goes right into our hearts. What a passage. Keep, look, keep, look, look at the verse again. Verse 19. To know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. You can't be taught externally. It must be taught internally first. Then you can read about it in the Bible and just rejoice. That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is how you get as close to God as possible. This is walking with God like Enoch or better. Because you have God's presence with you filled with all the fullness of God. Because you know all about what God has designed for you, ordained for you, and sent Jesus Christ to purchase for you on the cross of Calvary. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly... Above all that we ask or think, I want you always to read every word. Right. Many of you know those words because you use them to get a better job. But this verse wasn't written for a better job. Right. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think in the context of what I just described, according to the power that worketh in us. Yeah. You have a power that is working in you, and he is able to do exceeding abundantly above. Now, those are three words. They sound a little redundant, but they're trying to make a powerful point, and they're not redundant. Make a powerful point that what we just had described to is God is able to do, and he's able to do it exceeding abundantly of how you can think about it, or how you can pray for it, and most of all, how I can preach it to you. Because I don't know how to preach it to you. Except these words are beyond description. Because they're above what we can ask or think. That's right. Amen. That the God of our Father would grant you. God can give this. I want it and I want it for all of you. This is the most important subject that we can probably take up for spiritual religion. This is the most important subject we can take up for victorious living. This is the most important subject we can take up for fellowship with God. This is the most important subject we can take up for maximizing our lives and influence in the world, in our church, in our marriages, in our children, and in others that we meet. There's no, real, there's no revival and never will be revival in hearts, families, or church without the Holy Spirit. Amen. If the Holy Spirit is quenched in your marriage, in your soul, in your family, there's never going to be revival. You're just going to raise a bunch of little carnal brats. They're going to grow up and expose you as being a carnal set of parents and make fools of you. So, we want to have the Holy Spirit in our families and in our marriages and in our hearts. Look at John chapter 15. It's been referenced in prayer. John chapter 15. Jesus speaking just before his death. John 15, 4. Abide in me, and I in you. John fifteen four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, 
except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. What a contrast. Much fruit, nothing. What's the difference? Abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? To believe on Him and to keep His commandments. Which means to confess your sins whenever they occur in your life. So it means to believe on Him, confess your sins, and keep His commandments. That's abiding in Him. That's doing what He wants you to do, and He will abide with you, and you can abide with Him. If you sin, if you play around with sin, He will withdraw from you, and you have turned away from Him. So there's no longer abiding in the vine. You have no more power left. You can do nothing. But if you will confess your sins and get back in the vine and drawing sustenance from Him because you're speaking to Him openly, your hands are clean, your mind is pure, you're single-minded, He will give you the power to bear much fruit. The fruit being spiritual fruit in your life. Can't do it without Him. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do everything. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Back to that little epistle we were just looking at. With how does Jesus do that? When he says, abide in me and I in you, I'm the vine, ye are the branches, without me ye can do nothing. But if a man abide in me, he can bear much fruit. How does he do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can enable you to be more joyful than you are today. The Holy Spirit can give you the power to be more peaceful than you are today. If you abide in Christ. It's, it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we come to Ephesians 6, and the Lord willing, you're going to hear more about Ephesians 6 soon. It says, finally, my brethren, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So, Zechariah 4, 6 isn't just Old Testament stuff, is it? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Because we can be strengthened, according to this verse, in the power of His might. So, be strong in the Lord. You know, the Ephesians had to suffer for the cause of Christ. What's your suffering? That's where our strength is, right there, in Ephesians 6. If you were to read down through Ephesians 6, it tells you what armor to put on to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil, and it comes down to the activity that you should be engaged in. It's in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. But notice what it said in that verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit. You better be walking with God. Sins confessed. Relationship restored. Like David prayed in Psalm 51, your prayers won't be heard. Because, see, if you're not praying that way, then the Holy Spirit is not praying for you with groanings which cannot be uttered, and your prayers aren't going anywhere, so you have a fruitless life. He doesn't hear your prayers. We want the Holy Spirit praying for us according to the will of God and praying for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's content and quality. Content and character of prayer the Holy Spirit enhances for us. When we're walking with Him, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We live in the perilous times of the last days when men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God and therefore they have powerless lives when it comes to real spiritual fruit. The fruit that the Bible describes. The Bible says, God, this is Paul to Timothy, and it's primarily ministerial, but it also applies to all of us. Timothy, don't you dare be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor of me, his prisoner. Because God hath called us and saved us with a holy calling before the world began. 
All that passage. This is what he said in verse 7. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Did Paul have all three of those? Was he afraid? How many times was he beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, in perils, over and over again? God hath not given us the spirit of fear. How many have ever met a person that really has a spirit of fear? I have met several. Devil possessed with spirits of fear. It's an unbelievable problem. Everything makes them afraid. They're paranoid. But you know, even when you're timid, if you're timid to be a good father, if you're timid to be a good mother, if you're timid, God hasn't given you that spirit of timidity. God's given the spirit of power, authority, and love, compassion and care for others, and a sound mind. Good wisdom from his word to be able to answer questions. Now, this is primarily Timothy. Timothy had been given all those things. He had a compassion for souls God had put within him by the Spirit. He had wisdom to be able to answer most questions that would arise among those that he served by the wisdom God had given him, a sound mind. And he had power. He wasn't afraid. This is what God can do for your life. Do you remember King Saul, Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, when he became king of Israel? What was he out doing when he was going to be crowned? He was hiding in the stuff the day of his coronation. And even before that, when they tried to find him, where was he? He was, he was chasing down his father's asses. I mean, he had an important job. He chased daddy's asses around the countryside trying to collect them for daddy. Because he was a timid guy. You know, he was eight feet tall. He played basketball in high school. But he was timid. He was a quiet guy. He wasn't fit to be a king. Because if you're going to be that quiet and that timid... And you're not going to set your foot down and lay down the law of righteousness in your home. And you're not much of a leader, but God's made you a leader. And he's able to make you a better leader by the power of the Holy Spirit. God told Samuel, don't worry, I'm going to give the man a new heart so that he's he's worthy of being a king. Because right now, he flunks. So I'm going to give him a new heart. And all of a sudden, God gave him a new heart. And there's Saul prophesying with the prophets. Blasting away with the prophets of God. The day of his coronation, he was hiding in the stuff. They wanted to put him up on a stage, put a crown on his head, and they were all going to say, God save the king. God save the king. And he was hiding in the stuff. These are the exact words from the Bible. So whenever you say stuff, you know that you're using a Bible word. But he was hiding. Then God gave him, the Spirit of God came upon him. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 10 and 1 Samuel 11. The Ammonites came up against Israel and said, we're going to rip your eyeballs out, folks. We can't stand you Jews that have come into the land of Canaan. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He was filled with anger. Ah, doesn't that surprise you? That the Holy Spirit, you know, the charismatics want you to think that that little white dovey that they put on bumper stickers, that little white dove is the way that you're supposed to act all the time. And see, that's what, why can't we all get together? The little white dove says that we can all get together. The little white dove came down on King Saul and he was filled with anger and he took a yoke of oxen and chopped them in 12 pieces, dropped them into FedEx envelopes and mailed them to the 12 tribes of Israel and said, if you're not here immediately, this is what I'm going to do to all your flocks and herds. Now, from a guy that was timid hiding in the stuff to doing that, and I have a point in going through all this again for you. 
Are you a little intimidated by something in your life? Are you a little fearful? The power of the Holy Spirit, David would say, as I've already said once today, and I've said many times because I love Psalm 18, verse 29, by my God, have I run through a troop and leaped over a wall. He will give you the power to do what you ought to do. Remember Saul. He was timid. He didn't want to be king. He didn't think he could lead. And God gave him the power of the Holy Spirit. He was able to do it. And guess what? Israel appeared on time, and they took care of the Ammonites. Don't you ever forget the power that you have within you. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, and with this we'll break. 1 John 4, 4. Brethren, the danger is great. The danger of losing the power of the Spirit in your life. I have lived powerless days, and I have lived powerful days. And I know the difference. I hate the one and love the other. And I don't want you to have those days. First John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. That is these false spirits in the world and the false prophets that are in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise the Lord. What, what, could, what could our, I think our Father took good care of us even though he left us here in the orphanage. He left us here in the orphanage and sometimes we get a little lonely when we look around this world and realize we're different. But you know what? He's with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll abide with you. I will dwell with you. And then I'll take you home to heaven. But I'm, I'm going to leave you there for a little while so that you can obey me in the midst of that orphanage. And you'll know what I saved you out of. Then I'll take you home to glory. This is the word of the Lord. I hope that you want the Holy Spirit in your life, that you're going to pray for it, that you're going to confess your sins, that you're going to cut off the worldly inputs that come into your life and grieve him and quench him. He, he is called the Holy Spirit for a reason. He demands holiness in your life or he is quenched and grieved. And you live a powerless life. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. The Holy Spirit would not want to be praised. He would want Jesus Christ to be praised because his whole ministry is to bear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ.